0: is a British boys pop band stole the hearts of many young girls from around 2000 to 2015. And as I shared that this morning, there was one of our young ladies that was sitting up here and she was saying, no, 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 no. She didn't like them, but a good number of them did. You see, they were discovered on a British show called The X Factor by Simon Cowell and produced a number of hits. And they released four albums, all of which uh, debuted at number one on Billboard 200, a first for any band of any kind. And you would think that with such success, things would continue to go unabated. But the reality is that the group has been on hiatus since the first part of 2016, with all of the members pursuing solo careers. In other words, One Direction has gone in many directions. And we may laugh at that kind of play on words and the irony of the name. And yet the reality is, folks, that we tend to do that in life, don't we? We tend to do that in life in so many ways, but particularly when it comes to following Jesus Christ. And sometimes we're called to follow him, but we want to do our own thing. And we want our thing, and we don't want his And maybe we're the ones that go on hiatus. But if we want to make a difference in the Christian life, if we want to make a difference in our journey with Jesus, we must be on the same page as he is. We must be going in the same direction. Behind me are two banners that says, Mechanicsville Church of Christ is committed to love God, love people, and impact the world. And we add, for future generations because we're not living just for ourselves, we're living for the future. We want the church to thrive and to grow. And that's our vision statement as a church. And we're gonna spend the next few weeks talking about that because they summarize, even though we think, okay, this is the Mechanicsville Church of Christ vision statement, but what those words summarize are two statements that Jesus made and Jesus gave. He talked about the great commandment and then he also gave the great commission. The great commandment says love God, love people, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And then also Matthew 28:19 and 20 says, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you and I will be with you always, even to the end of the earth. So we're gonna look at these elements. And the first one that I want you to start looking at is called Loving God, and it's found in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. If you're not familiar with the, with the Bible, there's, the Bible is divided in two sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Testament takes the last third of the book. And if you get into the New Testament, you will find different books, and they start out with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of which tell the story of Jesus and tell about his life. And his death and his burial and his resurrection and we want to camp out in chapter 12 of mark the second book there and we want to start with verse 28. one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating and noticing that jesus had given them a good answer he asked him of all the commandments which is the most important the most important one answered jesus is this hear o israel the lord our god the lord is one Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teachers, the man replied. You're right in saying that God is one and that there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You're not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Back in the day of Jesus, people followed the Old Testament law, which involved certain sacrifices, which involved certain rituals and different things like that. But if you were to summarize all the the law and the prophets, and you were to put it all together it would have boiled down to two passages of Scripture, and this is what the, the teachers of the law emphasized. First of all, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, and then Leviticus nineteen eighteen, which basically said you need to love God with all that you have because He is one, and He is, he is who He is, and we have to love our neighbor as ourselves the question that we need to ask ourselves is what does it mean to love God we say that we do but what's it really about anyway and from this passage that we just read in Mark I want us to find out that first of all loving God is uncomfortable it's uncomfortable this guy answered correctly but in another occasion in Luke chapter 10, there was another guy that came to Jesus with the intent of testing him. And he said, hey, hey, Jesus, tell me, tell me, who's, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus repeated these words that we just read right now. And then he said, or, or actually, it was, the, it was the guy that repeated them very proudly, excuse me. And he, he was very proud about what he was saying. And, and, and Jesus says, you're right, do this and you'll live. And then it says that this guy wanted to justify himself. And he said, but who's my neighbor? And Jesus went on to tell him a story, the story that we know very well called the story of the Good Samaritan. And we use that terminology today when we stop and help people in need. And basically what Jesus was telling him was that loving God is uncomfortable. It gets us out of our comfort zones. Because when I surrender to God, I have to surrender to who he really is, not my preconceived notions of him. We look around and we think to ourselves, well, God is a God of grace. God is a God of love. God is a God of of, uh, just, you know, comfort. And we think that that's who he is. But he is so much more than that. He is the one and only. hero, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And I've been told that that term in the Hebrew literally means a singular multiplicity. One in many aspects, with many aspects. Those many aspects working together to accomplish the goal of the whole. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we struggle with this whole concept of how can God be three? How can he be one? How can he be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Many manifestations of the same God. And yet you look at the whole idea of how God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are cohesive and they work so closely together that they are just kind of in sync all the way through and there is almost no distinction between them. I know that analogies break down and this analogy will break down. But let me just give you an illustration. We... We have multiple staff here at Mechanicsville Church of Christ. There's Will, there's Eric. Kelly, are you there? Yeah, there's Kelly. There's Charlotte and myself. I am the senior member in more ways than one. (laughs) It is very interesting how our staff works because we work together so well. We have a lot of fun together. There's a lot of laughter at staff meetings, and um, you know you you guys would probably wonder what in the world we laugh about. Uh, Most of the time, they're laughing at me, but but that's okay, and and I'm I'm cool with. No, no, I'm just kidding. We just have a lot of fun, but we also work well together, and we have our different areas of responsibility and our different areas of focus, and even though those tasks are so diverse. We're united, and that is a blessing, not only to us, but to you as well, and hopefully to the Lord. And I have to admit to you that there are sometimes when ideas are brought up in staff meeting by all of the members of staff, and they'll come up with some ideas, and you know, here I am, the old guy on the block, and I'm thinking <laughs> that, that one just makes me a little uncomfortable. And I have to think it through and process it and then, but we still go ahead with it. You know why? I trust every single one of these folks. I trust them with my life. I trust them with everything. And we're going to move forward together. And sometimes we're going to stumble together, but there are other times that we're going to end up being successful together. And the blessings from that obvious you see folks unity takes place when we are not only trusting each other but when we're heading in the same direction together and that can be disconcerting because all of us have specific ideas of how we think things need to happen don't we we just have those ideas and we think that our ideas are great and divisions take place when we become more focused on advancing our idea or agenda rather than working for the benefit of the whole, regardless of who gets the credit. And honestly, that is uncomfortable at times. It was for Jesus. I mean, from the, from the, from the time that he was able to comprehend as a baby or as a youngster, he knew that this was his destination. He knew that that's what he was going to have to go through. He knew that as a man, he was going to have to suffer incredible agony. And yet he did it. The Bible says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The joy being of of, of seeing us reunited with the Father and being able to be with him for eternity. And so he was one with the Father. And they worked together. And Jesus prayed that we might be one as well, just as he and the Father are one. So we need to be united in our love for God as well. And it's one of the reasons Jesus said in, in John chapter 15, by this will all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. I came across an article not too long ago, and I, I wish I had kept it, but basically the point of the article was that, that one of the most powerful ways a local congregation can impact its community is through unity. Everybody working together toward a common goal. And that strangely resembles what Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 21. Just hours before he was to be crucified, he prayed for us, for you, for you, for me, together as a church. And he said, may they be one. Father, as you are in me and I am in you, that the world may believe that you have sent me. You see, we don't like to see God as he really is. We like to fashion him, as I've said, in our own image. We view God as simply a God of comfort, a God of grace, a God of love. And he is all those things, but he is so much more than that. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And it's a fantasy uh, book about different things, but it provides some tremendous spiritual truths. And one of the main characters is a lion by the name of Aslan, who in the book represents Jesus. At one point in the book, Lucy, one of the other characters, main characters, <clears throat> is talking to. Uh, to someone else, and she's asking about this lion by the name of Aslan, and she asks, simply put, "Is he safe?" And the response that she gets is so profound. He says, "Oh no, he's not safe, but he is good. That is the reason to love God, even if loving Him makes us uncomfortable." And we ask ourselves, why should I? Why in the world should I do that? Could God ask me to do something that is wild and crazy? Could God ask me to do something that is dangerous? And I'm here to tell you that he could. But in the middle of that, he's given us a promise. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, he says, We love because he first loved us. He is good. God is never safe. But he is always good, and he wants what's best for us. And it's those more things of God that make us squirm a little bit. Things that we don't fully understand. Things that cause us to question, why God? Why am I having to go through this? Because it causes us to move out of our comfort zones. It might force us to think differently than we do. It it might call us to do something radical. Stephanie Garman Freed was... Living the American Dream, she was an American housewife living over in the Joplin, Missouri area, and she was everything was just going great, a husband, some kids, everything was fine, until her dad came back from a trip to Cambodia. Joe Garman reported something of some of the things that he had seen in that country in Southeast Asia, and he saw thousands and thousands of children being exploited through sex trade, through slavery, and a variety of other things. And that just lit a fire inside of Stephanie. And she began to figure out ways in which she could go ahead and make a difference. And she co-founded with her dad a ministry called Rafa House. And Rafa in Hebrew means healing. And in the 14 years this ministry has been in existence, over over 1,000 kids have been rescued, housed, cared for, and helped both spiritually, emotionally, and physically in this little country of Cambodia. All because Stephanie chose to love God, even if it meant being uncomfortable. In this past week, I read an article that some people were saying that the sex trade over in Southeast Asia is beginning to diminish largely because of organizations like her's that are rescuing and making a difference. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer. Awesome, empower our God. Our God. If your God does not make you uncomfortable, I want to tell you that you probably don't worship the right God because he is wild, he is unpredictable, and yet he is faithful and loving, and he calls us to love him by getting uncomfortable as well. But loving God is not only uncomfortable, it's also complete. It involves total and complete surrender. Jesus put it this way, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Did you notice that as I was reading that, all is repeated four times for each of those categories. And in the, in the original language, whenever something is repeated, whenever a word is repeated, it is there for emphasis. And usually you mention it twice and it's, it's good. It's, it's, a, it's enough of an emphasis. But here it's repeated four times. In other words, you cannot avoid this at all. And, whenever the, and, and, and Romans chapter 12 points out also the illustration of, of how much all means because it says, I urge you, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, that you present your bodies as living and holy sacrifices, acceptable to him. This is your true and pop, uh, proper worship. Folks, what part of all do we not understand? Because we like to put conditions on God, don't we? Oh, God, I'll give you this part of my life, but I'm doing just fine with this. Thank you very much. I want you to have this, but I want to keep this. God doesn't play that game. And if you think that just coming to church on Sunday and singing a few songs and giving a bit in the offering plate and taking communion, and maybe even serving in some capacity on a weekly or monthly basis is all you need to do to go to heaven, then you misunderstand grace. Because heaven is never, ever earned. It has been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen on that? But if we view those things that I just described as the only thing we need to do to tell God we love him, then we also have it very wrong. You see, God wants us to believe and act that each day is his. That each day is to be lived for his glory in your life as well as mine. He wants us to see our jobs and our schools as mission fields, as places where we can make an impact for Jesus where no one else can. He wants us to to be able to show that we love him in the way that we handle our family and our finances and our food and our fitness and our futures. He wants us to seek him first of all in in all of the decisions that we face and align our lives completely by faith with his direction, his plan, his purpose and everything we do. It's all or nothing for him. Personally, I just find it, Amazing that even after as many years as I have lived, and it's none of your business, um, after, (laughs) I'm just so grateful for where God has brought me as I look back at my life. But folks, I'll tell you what, I look ahead and I see (laughs) I got a long ways to go. And I think that's true for all of us as we grow in Christ-likeness and as we understand more of our own sinfulness and how much God loves us, that is very easy for us to to grasp. But I I end up finding out as I look ahead that I have so many more course corrections to make, even though there have been some victories along the way. And when I start out each day listening to God speak to me through His Word, and i reflect on what that portion of scripture says to my life and how he wants to mold me to make me more like him, I can easily identify some area that needs to be more fully surrendered, that needs more of him and more completely be in line with what God wants. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes that is really, really hard. It is really, really hard because I've tried to maintain control of certain areas of my life and certain aspects of my life for so long. And yet I find that when I surrender, when I obey, His love fills me and His love completes me. My prayer for this year, for this church, is and has been and will continue to be that we will be the church that God wants us to be. A church that is known for its love for God. A church that boldly tells others about Jesus. A church that serves others out of love for Him. A church that obeys what He asks of us, no matter what the cost. A church that excitedly looks forward to gathering on days like today, not to do our religious duty but to express our love in full abandon to the King of kings and the Lord of lords because that is what we have been doing through the the week in life. And we want to thank him. And we want to praise him for his love and his faithfulness because he is good and his love endures forever. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I'll live for you alone Every breath that I take Every moment I'm awake Lord, have your way in me But there's a final thing about loving God that we need to pick up from this passage of Scripture and that is that loving God is life-changing. When we commit to loving God with all that we are, Things change for us. We start seeing things from a different perspective. We start seeing people from a different perspective. We have a different outlook as we face circumstances, no matter how difficult or challenging. We even approach grief differently. Yesterday, we got word that Bernice Hogel passed away, a longtime member of this congregation, 91 years of age. Uh, funeral details are still pending. But when I visited with her before she went into a sleep and not being non-responsive, when I went into her room and said, Hi, Bernice, she looked at me very confidently and she said, God is with me. It changes your perspective. But I think that the major difference that loving god brings is that once we realize how real it really is we just cannot keep quiet about it last weekend Pam and I rushed up to Cincinnati to witness the wedding of uh, my nephew and and it was it was really a special time Caleb got married to Kelsey And on Facebook, before the event, they couldn't keep quiet about it. During the wedding, they openly declared by reading their own vows that they had written to each other. Their love and devotion to each other. And they also went through a foot washing ceremony to signify that they were submitting to one another. She did it too, to him. And we see all of that. And we see young people commit their lives to each other, and we say, "Ah, isn't that sweet? And those of us who have been married a few years, sometimes we get cynical, as I heard somebody say today. You know, you get three rings when you're married. There's the engagement ring, the wedding ring, and suffer ring. I didn't say that. I'm just quoting somebody else, okay? And I'll let you figure out who it is. Uh, No, no, it was just, it was funny. I had to to laugh a little bit. uh, Because what I did say was, you need to listen to what I have to say today. (laughs) But we'll say this stuff like that. But I don't want you to miss the point. And that is that these two willingly gave each other themselves but they also declared to everybody around them their love and devotion to one another. And they're still doing it on Facebook. Here they are in the middle of their honeymoon, and they're saying, look at how much we, we love each other. I can't, I'm, I'm with the love of my life, and all that kind of soupy stuff. When you're loved by somebody, you just don't keep quiet about it. You tell everyone every chance you get because love changes you that much. And we think of the love between a man and a woman in marriage or the love of a parent for a child such as Graham and Lizzie uh, Kirby are experiencing right now because their son, Bo Sterling, was born yesterday morning. And they're all excited about it. And grandma and grandpa are all excited about it. They left early so that they could go ahead and be with the grandkid I probably or something like that. Uh, no, they came to early service and, and, and everything like that. And we, we, we even talk about the love that a soldier will have in laying down his life for his country. And we'll declare that those are some of the greatest forms of love. But I want you to know that all of those loves pale in comparison with the love that is described in Scripture. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says that God showed us His love For us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we have been changed as a result of that from death to life. As was sung here just a moment ago, dry bones and dead bones come to life. From lost to found, from rebellious to restored, from enemies to children adopted into his family. And we think about a lot of things, and we think to ourselves, okay, what's the number one secret to, the, to a growing church, to a thriving congregation? And we think of all these methodologies. Folks, let me tell you what the number one secret to growing a church is. It's when a congregation, a group of people, becomes so enamored with Jesus and so in love with God that they cannot keep themselves from telling other people, and they can't keep their mouth shut about it. And that's when places like these become charged with supernatural power because real love dwells here. And I'm just so grateful that I see that in so many people in this place. Not in the building, but in the hearts of, of, of individuals. Others get asked to come. They taste and see that the Lord of Good is good. They, they, they sense his love being expressed when we're together. And they see it in action when we're apart. They hear us talk about God's grace in life. And then they witness his grace when, when we're at work. They see us being generous when the offering is being passed. But they also experience that same generosity on a personal basis when a need comes up in their lives. And they watch us serve in our building faithfully and cheerfully just as we serve them in other settings. And they hear us show that that God loves them just as much as he loves us. Folks, we're not an exclusive club. We are a group of sinners who have been saved by grace. And we want as many people to experience God's love and grace alongside us. Because that's what he wants. It's a treasure of riches that cannot be kept to ourselves, but that needs to go to others as well. Because there's more than enough to go around. And if you're here today, just like the man who came to Jesus and asked, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus' response to him applies to you. You're not far from the kingdom of God. His love beckons you from the cross, where Jesus died for your sins and mine. And his love shouts from the empty tomb, where Jesus has destroyed the very enemy that we fear the most, death. But he also gives us a path that we, can, that we can go on with Him as we walk our way toward eternity with the Lord. And as it begins in the here and now. His love invites you. His love longs for you. His love yearns for you. And He asks that he ex- you, he ex- you accept that love by accepting Him. But once you do, you're called to share it with others. Because... True love does exactly that. Savior, he can move the mountains. My God, come on, sing it. God to save, he is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, he rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, thanking you for your mighty and abundant love, but thanking you also for the opportunity, the privilege, that even though we can never love you as much as you have loved us, we can love you. You invite us to do that. And we don't have to do it alone. Instead, you give us your spirit to increase our love, to enable us to love when things seem unlovely and when people seem unlovely. And you empower us to do your will. And showing your love for all people. Including one another. I thank you for that. Thank you for Jesus. Who is the very embodiment of that love. And thank you that you call us to him. I pray in Jesus name. Amen.